Hello, everyone. This is David Coleman. Welcome back to Bridging the Gap. I have been gone for a few weeks because I have been on tour. I've been speaking all over America. I've been to about 21 states in 27 days, speaking on college campuses, and I had a military show in there, and uh, it has been rough. The, the travel across the United States has been very interesting as I fly and drive and uh, hit all of my assignments, and it was just uh, impossible to also keep producing podcasts during that time. And I, I really thank Paul Jones, the uh, person who has started Bootleggers Music Group Radio and does Paul Live. And uh, he really stepped up and filled in for me. And I really appreciate that. Now, this is the point in time where I would normally introduce my guest, which I will eventually do. But because among the many talents that my guest tonight has, he used to be an on-air DJ I am going to allow him to introduce me, and then when he's done being him, and he is him, I will come back and introduce him. Brent, all yours. Live from Cincinnati, Ohio, Bridging the Gap brings to you the host, David Coleman. Thank you, Brent. Brent Vaught, ladies and gentlemen, lives in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I am calling tonight's podcast cars, dot, 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 cameras, dot, 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 and anything else you might want to know about, because maybe of all the guests I've ever had on the program, Brent, you have multiple talents that don't necessarily relate to each other whatsoever. And the, the first thing we'll, we'll announce kind of is you are the general manager of an automotive service and repair uh, place, a major one. We are not gonna give the uh, name of that place because they're not paying for on-air support tonight. Uh, but uh, you are, and you've been doing that for how long? Been doing that for three years now. Three years. Do you like it? Uh, I like most of it. I like working on cars and uh, helping people get the services they need and making sure they're getting it right. Okay. You were also at one point in your career, you were an on-air DJ, correct? And when and where did you do that? Uh, based out of Crawfordsville, Indiana, where I was born and raised, uh, WCVL, WIMC, and today's the music, I 106.3. There you go. See there, I knew it would come out. And I, I have seen firsthand your work as you, you and my friend, Michael Gersh, who is a past guest on this program, are among the most talented uh, photographers I've ever seen. And I'm not sure I've ever seen anyone quite with your eye and the different things that you can do from different angles and uh, what you do post taking a, taking a, a, a photograph, what you do after it's over to bring that photograph fully to life and to light is remarkable. And how long have you been doing that? Oh, I've been doing photography for probably 20 years now. I also know, and I, if I get this wrong, we'll correct it. But if I'm not mistaken, you just auditioned for and made the Indianapolis Men's Choir. Is that correct? Chorus, but choir works too, I suppose. Okay. But it is Indianapolis Chorus. Men's Chorus, yes. Okay, I'm, I apologize. I, 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 I might get it wrong. That's okay. And then uh, you, beyond that, I know firsthand that you're also a chef of, of some pretty decent quality. Uh, so what are we talking about so far? We are the GM of an automotive service and repair place. We're an on-air DJ, world-class photographer, a voice that most people would die for. You can also cook. You've got some great culinary skills. And then, and I know I'm going to screw this up, 
but you're also you also build exotic technic sports cars with Legos, correct? There you go. That's it. Nailed it. And and I have seen them. And if I'm not mistaken, you can spend months on one of these, correct? Yes, that is correct. And then after that, you use your photo, your uh, photography skills, and you take incredible pictures of them and end up selling the pictures of the models that you have built, correct? Yes. <clears throat> okay. See, this is why I, I've been wanting to have you on for a long time. And what I like about having guests like you is I can ask you almost anything about anything and not miss an area of your expertise. So let's start off with what I think will help the average person here. And one of the reasons I didn't necessarily want you sharing where you work is because I want you to be able to give the most honest answers to people that we can possibly give to them. Because sure. what do people, the average person, what's the average person know the least about their car? Okay. I was watching an episode of Seinfeld the other day and, and George was making fun of uh, Jerry because he had to take his car and he goes, you don't want to take it in, not to a dealership. They're going to tell you, you need a Johnson rod. Hey, your Johnson rod's out. You owe us $500 for a Johnson rod. And I, I, I kind of laughed for a minute because I knew that you were coming on the program and the average person out there, especially as cars have gotten more and more advanced and more and more electronic and more and more computer-based, the average person doesn't have a clue. Would you say that's true? I would say that's very true. They always go to Google or they always go to the internet and they make bad decisions. Okay. And you work, you work at a place that whole, that uh, sells tires, but you also in a, ma a major place, we are talking a major chain, a major place. That's a major player in the industry, but you also provide services such as what, what can someone have done with their car when they come in? Uh, anything from the basic of just oil change, tire rotations, obviously getting tires replaced. Uh, even if you brought your wheels to us, we would mount new tires as long as they had stickers on them. Uh, we could prove that they were new and that we go, you know, we could do diagnosis depending on engine, those types of things. We can do uh, spark plugs, tune-ups, and anything basically brake steering and suspension. So somebody can walk in needing some tires and after talking with you, share a few more things about the car and you're possibly able to help them do a lot more than put a couple of tires on the car. Correct. And I think from my point of view and from what I do, it's more than just the tire. It's the actual customer or person themselves because anybody can go buy a set of tires pretty much anywhere, but do they fit you? Do they, are they what uh, provide what your style is? Do you go off-roading? Do you go down gravel more than you are on paved road? Those types of things. And we take that into consideration because every tire is different. Um, so you can get some that are entry level. You can get some that are 80,000 and they're more quiet than the other ones, or you can get uh, all terrain ones and go mudding. So there's millions of different combinations you can get, but there's only one that fits your need. Uh, it's, it's funny. I've, I needed some tires. Actually, I didn't need tires. I had uh, my my tire went flat. I had my my sister was visiting Cincinnati, and I took her to the park, and we went on a beautiful walk with my puppy, and we came back, and not forty five minutes later, my back right tire is flat, completely flat. We drove in, oh. it was fine. I come back, and it's flat. AAA came over and, and got in, and I took it to a local place, and I was really curious: were they going to help me fix that tire if they could? Or was the main mission to get me to buy a new tire? Because obviously 
you helping me patch a tire quickly is not nearly going to help your bottom line as a store as if I end up getting one, two, three or four tires. And I have to give this place some props that, that they, uh, within 15 minutes, he said, it was a nail. I got it. You're patched. You're gone. Have a nice day. I said, what do I owe you? He said, your service the next time you need a tire. And I, I thought that was pretty classy. Do you think the average person, and I'm not talking just about where you work, Brent, I'm talking about anywhere within this, this podcast goes worldwide, worldwide, all across America and worldwide. When somebody walks in, there's that tire there and they've got that little gauge and they, they stick the gauge down in the tread and they show you how much of your tread. They, they look at what a normal tire should be. They walk out to your car, they do it, or, or your car's up on the rack and they walk you back. Is the average place in this country being honest? Are they trying to help you at that moment to do the right thing? Or is there a bottom line that you have to hit as a store and try to lead people there? That's a really great question. And integrity is probably the one most thing that's always challenged in any business of retail. And, you know, with tires, it's simple to tell somebody, well, yeah, you need a new tire maybe because the new generation or the generation working on your tires lazy or they're working on your vehicle and it's just they don't they'd rather just put a new tire on there. A lot of the times it comes down to where that nail or where that screw or where that leak is. And you can see it, just request to look where the nail is at, or they say, hey, there's a hole in it, where's it at? You can always do the two-finger trick. The width of your two fingers, if it matches, if you lay it on the outside and you can Which touch two the fingers? Hole, Which two fingers? Your index. Yep, I'm sorry, the index in the middle. Okay. If you can lay them sideways from the edge of the tire and touch the nail, it's too close to the sidewall, which you would need a new tire. So it's usually in that first rung, of tread closest to the sidewall or the closest to the sidewall from the inside. That's the patch of where you would need a new tire. All right. And can you tell, can you tell when someone uh, walks in, whether they absolutely, okay, they, they know they're coming in for a tire and maybe of all the things I I've shopped for in my life, you know, every once in a while you'll have an appliance go out or every once in a while you have something, but, boy, tires, when tires go out, and if you need multiple tires, it can be a quick shock to the system. Do you see most people walking in, in their mind, acknowledging, okay, this is going to be a tad painful, or do you see sticker shock because there's price resistance in their brain when they hear that initial, uh, initial amount that something's going to cost them? Yeah, I mean, you see both. Uh, you know, pre-COVID, you could walk in and not have a uh, real big deal. Everybody was like, okay, I can spend the money. This is what I know I need. This is what we're going to get. Nowadays, people take advantage of people. We've talked about that, and it's an unfortunate scene. They walk into my store. I take them out to their car. We walk around. I want them to be as part of the sale as much as uh, I want them to be right there with me. Just simply because, hey, you're going to watch me do this. Your tires are this, and this is what we need to get you. Oftentimes you get off the hook with two. Um, if you drive an all-wheel vehicle and they fall below a certain tread depth, then you might have to get all four. That's all, always overlooked. I don't know how many times I've seen a tire, uh, one tire that has a nail in it, and the other three are, let's say, six uh, millimeters or six thirty seconds of tread, and new is usually about 10 to 13. That would qualify them to get all four tires on an all-wheel drive vehicle. Tell them that. That's sticker shock because they're thinking of one tire definitely, but not four. And let's just say hypothetically, uh, 
I, I'm currently driving a rental car because I have a number of shows in the next two weeks. It's a brand new Ford Edge. I think it's only got a couple thousand miles on it. Uh, but I, I've noticed it's a larger car than I thought it was. I owned an Edge once, and this seems to be considerably bigger than the one that I owned. The tires seem to be bigger. Let's say I'm a little later on in my life here with this car. And this one's not mine again, but if it was mine, and I come in and I need four tires for a car that size, what am I looking at? What's the average person? Let's help educate the average person who has no clue what it's going to be when they walk in. Maybe give a couple different cars, Brent, that the average American might be driving and say, here's what it would probably take to put some tires on that car. Yeah, so um, any kind of mini SUV or mid-size SUV, you're going to want to look for something that is a middle-of-the-road average tire. You don't want something that's entry-level. A lot of the times what people forget is those cars are top-heavy. They're also a little bit heavier than normal. So you don't want like an entry-level tire because it'll wear down faster. Entry-level could be anywhere between like 30 and 45,000-mile warranty. Um, a lot of our tires that we sell, um, that I would sell on a midsize SUV, such as the one that you're driving, would be in the 70,000 mile range. That is a great tire if you keep them rotated. You know, a good set of those, depending. A lot of those SUVs are going to start at probably in the 18 um, size range, rim size. So they're a little bit more expensive. Um, and it varies all over the place. But yeah, a set of four. Uh, good tires probably going to run you if you don't have a deal anywhere between eight hundred and thirteen hundred dollars, just depending. Wow. Right, right, right. So eight hundred to thirteen hundred, and uh, let let's say that, and and I, you know, you're you're a great guy. Uh, you're obviously mm -hmm. doing a really nice job on this podcast. I've seen you work. Uh, you've come with me when I'm working and and uh, taking photography, taking photographs. Excuse me of of shows I've done, and I've watched you interact with people. I'm assuming. You get one of three reactions. When you come back to someone and say, all right, what you're looking at here is 800 to 1300. Let's, let's cut the difference. Let's go around 1100. Let's just say 1100. You go, sure. we're, we're, we're looking at 1100 for these four. And is, is that mounted? Is that out the door? Uh, it can be. Yeah. I mean, I share the out the door price because listen, I mean, it's a sales pitch, right? Yeah, you're selling tires, but you're also selling a budget. You're also selling somebody that's coming in that may have the finances or maybe they don't have the finances. Sure. And you've got to figure that out. You know, who are they calling? Are they calling mom or dad or right. um, brother, uncle, sister's cousin? I mean, they might be affording it themselves. And you kind of I go through and like I said, it's a sales pitch for me. I just don't go out. Yep. You need tires. Here it is. Eleven hundred. I'll give them good, better and best. Hey, here's a good option. Here's a better option. And here's the best option. If you present them with options and you take the time and you show them the care, then they're going to earn your trust. I never share the price right off the bat. People are like, oh, I've got this tire size. Can you give me a price? Well, sure, I can give you a price, but is this the tire you really need? Are we looking at an all-terrain tire? Where did you get the tire? A lot of people don't know that when you open your door panel, and you're all going to do this now that I say this, but the next time you open up your driver's side door panel, there's a white and yellow sticker on that door panel. And that sticker is the most one of the most important stickers you're ever going to see. It shows your tire size, your speed rating for that tire, and it also shows you your accurate tire pressure that is supposed to be in all four of those tires. Okay. Interesting. 
And the average person doesn't know that, right? The average person would not have a clue what their tire pressure is supposed to be, correct? Correct. Because they're normally going to call in and maybe they want a tire. Hey, I need a tire. It's an 18 inch. Well, there's three numbers before that and then two numbers after that. So like a 265, yeah. uh, 70, 18. That's going to be on there. They're going to be able to know. But most people uh, forget that because it's a lighter car, it may only need 32 pounds of uh, PSI. Or if it's a SUV like you drive, it might need 36 or 42. And different tires hold different PSIs. Sure. Let me ask this question. So yep. you come back, you know, you've been you, you've been gracious. It's been a nice interaction with people. And you say, look, we're, we're looking at 1100 out the door for these four tires. I would assume there's three types of reactions that you would see. And in fact, I've been in tire stores before and service stores before. And I've, I've sat, you know, waiting for my own stuff to be done. And I've actually watched and heard the first type of person will go, all right, there you go. And <laughs> they'll go here, yeah. I'm here. I know it's coming here. Here's it. The second person will go, really? Like, like oblivion has hit them that they had no clue. It would be anywhere near there. And then my guess is they're the third person going, all right, but is that the best you can do? Is that fairly close? Is it the person who hands you the card and goes, here, I know I'm here. Let's get this done. The sticker shock one who just their mouth drops to the, the down to the floor and the person in the middle going, all right, all right. Can I do any better? Yeah, I mean, that's spot on. And that's spot on pretty much with just any of our services, period. Because a lot of the people, a lot of customers, I mean, a lot of people just don't know that, um, you know, we're still stuck in an area of things inflating a little bit. And I don't want to touch a lot of that. I just want to simply say, hey, things are just going up. One week they might be this, and the next week they're just going up. It's a lot more to ha uh, put an employee in and have them get a healthy paycheck. So, the labor costs go up and there's a lot to attire people don't, or even to just business services that it's just growing just simply because it's, it's, it's just going to get more expensive as we go along. So I think somebody who comes in or doesn't know, you know, you get people that's not been into a shop for a long period of time and they've done their own and now it's time they have to do it. They don't realize what goes into that and what kind of cost it is. But I'm definitely a firm believer that if, you know, let's say your total sale is going to take 15 minutes. The first 10 minutes is talking about what you're selling. And then just remember, it's you're selling you. If you're knowledgeable, you're confident, you're back and forth with the people in a nice, gentle man man manner, it's not going to matter. Nine you're building after. relationship and rapport. You're building a percent rapport. And <laughs> how often are your people return customers? 85 to 90% of the time. And see, I locally, uh, there is a branch of your store one minute from my house. I, I sent you a picture as I was driving home the other day. There are three more tire and service places within 300 yards on the same street. Now, what that means to me is they all probably generally do the same thing. This is about relationships. This is about trust. This is about rapport. And of course, consumers, it's about price. Is that pretty accurate? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's 100%. And you're not always going to win price. I mean, but you can always win with a smile in the right direction and guiding these people in the right. A lot of people won't mind spending two or three, four hundred dollars extra. Now, not everybody, obviously, but most people want the prompt service. They want the smiling service. They want that trust and to know that it's going to be done right. Hmm. Now, I, I'm going to I'm going to admit this that I'm probably one of the worst. I, I'm pretty good with my car. I keep my car 
uh, I, I take really good care of my car, but not after hearing you speak, I don't. I know that I don't rotate my tires as often as I should. So let's let's start with this. I want to start with tires, and I'd like just two or three bullet points, and then I want to move on to cars in general. What can people do, Brent, to extend the longevity of the tires they have on their car that's within their control that will help them have them extend the life and and cost them less in the future? Yeah, great, great question. So the the one of the things I've already kind of touched on is that TPMS sensor the that talks about when your um, uh, air is low, your PSI is low. If that thing comes on, get it looked at immediately. Pull over to a professional shop. Don't go to a gas station. Most gas stations have pumps that are broken. And I'm no, talking wait, about say that again. Pump. When what pops on? The TPMS, Tire Pressure Monitoring Sensor. Okay. And that'll pop up on your dashboard? It will. And it's usually in parenthesis and it's an exclamation mark. Oh, I've seen that pop up for sure. Yeah. You had a nail in your tire recently, so that's going to indicate that PSI monitor system's coming on and telling you that something is wrong. Now, most cars, most newer cars will tell you which one it is. Some older cars just have the light on and doesn't know which one it is. I've noticed in some of the newer cars that I've rented recently and even owned, uh, a, a picture of the car will come up with the little four tires. And that is correct. The one yep. that's problem. And think older ones don't have that. Unless it's more of a European or a German car, most like Hondas and uh, those types of cars did not have that back in the day of you know, 2010, 2007. Mm -hmm. They just didn't have them. Besides so, rotating, what else can we do? Besides rotating, what can those of us driving well, out there who don't have a GM job, what do we do? Sure. So with that with that light, when that light comes on, I got to touch back on this because it's so important. If you lose tire pressure just a little bit, it can cause your tire to run down on what we call run flat damage. So it'll lose the integrity of the tire inside the tire, and it's called tire cake. You put your hand down there, and you'll have bits and pieces of rubber. And the problem with that is, is because your PSI was so low and we're coming into a season now where most of the central states and eastern states will start to get cold. It's always a habit where tires will get cold in the mornings and they'll lose PSI. Happens all the time. Just a little shot of air before you go to work or wherever you're headed for the day will keep that tire inflated and they're therefore not giving you the run flat damage. So uh, people who at home, people who have. One, you know, just even one of the little ones that you can keep in your car. And if you yeah. ever get flat, you Correct. can so as, during, during the colder months, a shot of air getting the PSI up will help. Yes. That is correct. hundred percent. Cause if it runs um, on a low PSI, it can create run flat damage and create you to have to get a new tire. Okay. Uh, let's, let's go to the car now. Let's, I think you've really helped us on tires and I, I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Most most people who just get in their car and drive it, the most they ever do is go put in their gas or occasionally they'll they'll go get an oil change. And and let's let's talk about oil changes for a minute. They're everywhere. They're on every corner. They're yeah. right next to each other. They don't care if they're in the same parking lot anymore. They will be so right. close to each other. There must be good money in oil changes or they wouldn't be everywhere. So and I remember last time I went in. Uh, for my own car, it was synthetic, et cetera, et cetera. I want to say it came out to 75 bucks. I think I had a coupon for 10 or 20 off. 
brought it down to about 55, I think. Uh, if, if we go into a place and it is 70 bucks, 75 bucks, how much of that is profit? How much of that is real? Uh, is that a good price? What should people be looking for? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it really just depends. I mean, when you're going in for an oil change, you're also going to mainly get a 21 to a 50 point inspection for no cost. They want to check the air filter because oftentimes there isn't a lot of profit in an oil change. If you walk into a third party store, such as like AutoZone or O'Reilly, you're going to find you can get a box of oil that covers to put in your car for 25 or 30 bucks. And that just shows that there's not a whole lot of money in it. However, there's more money in maybe changing out your air filter, your cabin air filter. So a lot of shops, including mine, when we do inspections, we're just teaching you what there would be recommended manufacturer um, suggestions for this amount of miles, 15,000 miles, you change Good. out your cabin air filter. When somebody way. walks up with us, when somebody walks up to us and says, hey, here's your air filter, it's a little bit, we're assuming that air filter just came out of our car. And again, you're going to tell me that's integrity, that's ethics, that's they don't have one sitting over there going, hey, here's one that needs replaced every once in a while, pop this one up and go walk over to the car. Correct. And a lot of the times I'll show them. Sometimes I won't. I'll just be like, hey, you know what? Just want to let you know. Manufacturer recommends you to get your air filter and cabin air filter changed at 45,000. You're right around 48 right now. So if you want to get that checked out, you can always look, look up YouTube. A lot of the times it'll show you the clips for the air filter and you can put it in yourself. I offer them that because what store is going to tell you to go do it yourself in a kind manner? What store is going to tell them to do it themselves when they want the money themselves, right? Sure, of course. I mean, it's a business. That's that's why I guess what I'm kind of asking you from the standpoint of a consumer, not only am I a consumer, but I'm a podcast host that's representing other consumers, is how how cognizant is the average consumer walking in of what these different services you offer are going to approximately be versus complete and utter sticker shock because they're completely blown away because they just were absolutely clueless on what it was going to end up being. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a tough one because for me, we offer a certain inspection that will check uh, brake steering and suspension and give you an idea of where you're headed down the road. And again, it goes back to the salesperson. It goes back to the person talking to the customer because, listen, these are the things that need to be done. Here's something that needs to be done right now. And they have to be willing to trust that. I can't get upset if they want to say no and drive their car. We can always say it's unsafe. But if a consumer's walking in, they're going to know their car has an issue. They either have a sound, they need an oil change because there's a light on that says so. And if they take the recommendation, that's cool. Oftentimes, I'll print out what the recommendation from the manufacturer is so they can actually see it. So if they can read it and see it, then they gain the trust with me. Oh, he knows what he's talking about. Then the next time they come back, hey, I want to get that air filter. They've gained the trust. And it's no big deal. I'm just there for the great service. And if we get some things along the way, that's how it works. Help help us. Help, yeah. me, help me educate people. And I, I'll give you an example of where I'm heading with this. Uh, a few months back, I had a couple of police captains from the Cincinnati area who came in and we we talked about what it's like to be in law enforcement and first responding right now, that type of thing. And they gave my audience a quick two or three step idea of how to interact with law enforcement if you're either pulled over, there's an incident nearby, 
whether you're involved or not, they kind of gave an idea of what does the average law enforcement person go through? How do they like to interact with the public and how would they like the public to interact with them? Help me help those listening tonight know how to interact with people in the car service industry when they are walking in to get assistance. Yeah, it starts with them telling us exactly what's going on with the car. If you have a noise, if you have a bell, if you have a whistle, or if you have a light, all of that stuff will dictate what inspections needed and how we can better help you. If we can kind of center on what's going on, we can expedite it. Plus, in my business, we don't necessarily have just one technician does everything. We have several technicians that do specific jobs according to their training and their certifications. So if you come in and say, hey, when I turn, I have a squeak or I have uh, a pop. Well, that's going to go to an upper tech that's got quite a bit of experience so he can kind of inspect that, diagnose it, and really get you an estimate on what's going on. Um, so it just depends. If you leave that out and we don't know that there's a popping, there could be an issue. Well, you didn't fix my car. Well, we certainly tried. We didn't know that there was a popping noise, those types of things. So you got to be completely honest when you walk in. And that's hard because people are like, man, if I'm completely honest, that means dollar signs, right? If I tell them eight things that are wrong with my car, they're going to come back with 15. In my business and what I do, though, you have to trust the person behind the counter. And that's why I say, hey, you came in for a popping noise. We found it. I also found these five things that are going to be need to do need to be done in the next 10, 15, 20,000 miles. That's really, really classy. That's really great. And, you know, you're, you're making me, you're educating me while I'm sitting here interviewing you, but you made me realize you're the general manager. You don't work for free. Your employees don't work for free. You've got mechanics in there and I've, I've seen how busy your place is. You're, they're not in there working for free. And so number one, when we come in for a part, there's the, there's the cost of the part. Part of it is paying the salaries of the people who aren't working on the car. And part of it is paying the salaries of the people who are working on the car. And think of, think about this as an industry-wide, I am not talking about just your own shop. Please understand that. Um, a mechanic, somebody in there working hard on those cars, flipping those tires, uh, putting new rims, uh, fixing, fixing the holes like the nail that was in mine. What are those people making an hour? Or is it salary? Yeah, that's a great question. So the lower level techs, like the maintenance technicians that are basically going to do your tires, um, uh, oil changes, and the basic maintenance, they're going to be on an hourly rate. That's definitely going to depend on the type of business it is. A lot of the times they may start out at 13 or 14. I do know some more uh, bigger retailers, they'll start out at 17 um, because that's in a very important technician position. Then once you start to go up from there and experience and what you get trained on and what we call ASE certifications, um, those people start to make a little bit more money and they're paid differently. So I have four technicians that do not make an hourly wage at all. They come to work starting at zero. The only way they get paid is on a flag rate system. So if I sell you breaks, it pays you an hour. So it's an hour times your hourly wage. If you do it, in 20 or 30 minutes, which most of my guys can, then you still get the full hour, but it only took you a half hour. I see. I see. Is there a common mistake you see the general public make in, in one of two ways? When they come in the store, number one, 
and just in how they handle their own vehicles, number two. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a hard one because there are so many things that the uh, manufacturers are putting into these cars and a lot of people are preserving their used cars. And it's just trying to know the basics of your car. When this, uh, you know, or the, I'm sorry, the exclamation mark with the parentheses um, light comes on your dash, don't sit there for three weeks. Bring it right in, get it figured out. Because if you don't know, someone needs to help you find out because it could be detrimental. If your engine light's on, don't think that just because we're not in California, an O2 sensor or an EVAP leak, and I know I'm speaking way above, is not a problem because it really could be detrimental to the overall usage of the car. Hmm. So, so interesting. And for, for those of us, so little little things can go a long way. A little yes. bit we're in the tires when it gets cool. Uh, what what about keeping? This is always something you hear about. As it gets colder outside, do you want to let less gasket in your tank? You want to keep more gas in your tank? Do you always want it half full? I hear different people give different advice. Yep. Uh, could, could you give some advice on that? Yeah, I mean, I will just do it in a general spec and say, listen, the, when you're gaslight comes on and tells you you need fuel you've gone too far and here's why because you most of us have a floating fuel pump regulator that a sensor that tells you how much gas is in there it can run the fuel pump if you let it go too far and the light comes on all the time if you have 100 miles left just fill up it doesn't mean continue to go unless you're on like a really good long road trip but a lot of times it can hurt your fuel pump if you let it go and get the light on for your fuel several times in a row. It could wear it out quicker. So the people who have a habit of no, 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 at the cost of gas, I'm not getting until I have to. I'm not getting until I have to. I've also heard that less and less people are filling up because of the price of gas. They'll put in 20 or $30 at a time where they can to keep themselves Correct. going. But I, I filled up. I was on the road the other day. I was coming back uh, actually from Indy where – I had just seen you and done done a show at Marion University, and it was uh, $71 to fill right. that tank. Now, I'm going from school to school to school and gig to gig to gig, so that is a cost of doing business for me. The people who are filling up at home, it's a cost of doing business to get themselves to and from work, to and from the things they have to do for their children, for their families. Uh, are people filling up less? Does that matter? Uh, how quickly we're, we're running them back down? Um, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be filled up every time, but if it starts to get down below, you know, in that quarter tank range, just go ahead and put more in it. If you don't have the, the, the money right off the bat, or if it's really expensive, just put 10 or $15 up there just so that it will just keep the longevity of the fuel pump. But I'm not saying that if you do this, it, it's going to make your fuel pump go uh, riot and quit on you. It's just wear and tear on the vehicle. Something simple, just keep it, uh, you know, at a half a tank, um, at the quarter tank, start to put gas in it. I mean, it's just so you wow. don't wear it out quick. Before I go from cars to cameras and we start talking a bit about <laughs> photography, uh, how about Brent's tips? How about three tips from you, car care, dealing with people, uh, just generally your yeah. tips on helping us be better with our own vehicles and with the people we interact with? Yeah, great, uh, great question. So, you know, like our bodies, our bodies tell us when we're sick and what we like and what we don't like. Your car is going to do the same thing. 
if your car is struggling, it's telling you. Go in, get it checked out. A lot of places offer nice, low inspections just to tell you what's going on with your car. The best used car is the one you're driving, but you got to keep it that way. Um, the other tip is obviously the air pressure. Keep the air pressure up on those tires and keep them rotated, and they'll last you forever and ever. And the third thing I would say, blare that music because everybody wants to hear it. <laughs> That's so great. That is just so great. And let's switch over, uh, Brent. And and what I uh, this is I don't usually do this. But while we are talking about photography and while we're talking about that area of expertise, I want people to be able to listen to the podcast, but go to your website and see what you're capable of. So before we start, before I start interviewing about photography, let people know how they can look at some of your work. Yes. Yeah, so the two main ways um, I just launched my website not too long ago, it's Vautshot, V-A-U-T-S-H-O-T.com. Do that again, please. V is in Victor, A-U-T-S-H-O-T dot com. My last name is Vaught, but most people don't pronounce it that way when they see it spelled V-A-U-G-H-T. So I came up with my photography name as Vaughtshot, V-A-U-T, and 99.9% of the people get it right the first time. That's great. What and I then have... they can see it on Instagram, by the way. Instagram at Vaughtshot as well. That's really great. I told you I have a friend named Michael Gersh. Michael's been on the podcast. Yes. Uh, he's just remarkable. His he specializes in nature photography, and yes. um, he, he loves moon shots. He, mm. he loves to take pictures of the moon in various stages. And uh, every once in a while, I'll call him, and he'll go, "I'm out, I'm out, I see it," because I, I know there's a beautiful <laughs> moon coming out, and I want to make sure that he's out doing it. What do you specialize in and where did that come from? And, and I, let me, I'll come back to that question, but here's what I've noticed about your work versus anyone else I've ever worked with is there is a depth of contrast and color, maybe more than anyone else I've ever worked with in my life in regarding photography and emotion or a mood is set by the photos that you take and then work on. And I'm wondering where that came from, how you ended up in photography, where did that skill come from? Yeah, it's deep rooted. Uh, I lived in a state of depression for a long period of time. And before I became into photography, I had these moments where I didn't know what I was gonna do with my life, what I wanted to do. And when I started photography, I started to pour every feeling that I had into my photography simply because it gave me a sense of acceptance. When I snapped that shot of a horizon and the sun was peeking through the clouds, it just spoke to me. And I, my photography just speaks to me through what I'm feeling. And it made me have a sense of urgency and have a sense of acceptance and a sense of life. And I started to take that and really dial it into everybody. And when I'm selling stuff for cars, it's the same thing with my photography. I'll take time. I'm not this guy that says, okay, well, an hour is a million dollars. You know, I want to spend time with you. I want to get to know who you are. Because if you come into a photo shoot or whatever's going on, you're not, sometimes you're nervous. And so I want to break that wall down and get your best you possible. Um, if it's a person shot, if it's a, a sky, I might sit there for 20 or 30 minutes getting connected 
might see something in the water. But I personally try to get connected with the photo and then bring out as much of it as I possibly can in post. I always tell people, like, I'm a terrible photographer, but when I get into post, let's go. That's where it's at for me. I, I think you're far from a terrible photographer. I mean, <laughs> many, many of the many of the photos that I use in my career now, you have taken, and many of the ones that are currently on my Facebook profile, my different social media outlets, they're they're from you taking those in the last month and being at my gigs. And it, you know, it's it's real interesting now in the world because you've got millions of amateur photographers running around with their phones. That's right. And, uh, any any tips there for the average person walking around with their iPhone or their Android or whatever they're they're using and uh, trying to take the best pictures they can and what those phones are capable of that cameras might not have been capable of ten years ago. Right. I mean, man, I have an iPhone 14 Pro Max and the ability to capture great photos is everywhere. The thing that I just say for them is to find the best angle, because when you're taking a photo from your phone, my deal is where else can I stand to get a better angle? Because you're always going to be able to have that with your phone. I may not have that with my camera, so I may lay on the ground or I may go up closer and do something different. But for people, it's always you know, just focus, focus on what you're doing, take your time. And, uh, you know, with iPhones, you can touch the screen in the clouds and it'll focus on the clouds, but it'll also make it lighter because it needs to see the sky better. So there's a lot of different things, but take a picture of something that moves you, that captures you, that you're captivated with and be happy with that. Post it, give it to your friends, do whatever it takes, but be one with that photo, no matter what it is. Are you a fan of framing a picture? Those of us that are walking around with our little iPhones and Androids, <laughs> and, uh, you know me, I, I do love nature. I'm constantly watching sure. my pups and uh, I I love hiking. I love nature. It's, it's right. hugely, when you live on the road like I do, when you're gone for six weeks at a time, speaking every single night in a different city or a different state, coming home and connecting to nature is huge. And I yeah. want to encapsulate some of those. I want to take some of those with me. Uh, do you, are you a fan of a picture that looks like a postcard or are you more of a fan of a picture where somebody walks up and goes, that bugs on that tree. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting shot. You little critter. Right. I mean, I, I, I'm more inspired by something that you, you took time to figure out what it is. I don't want to be quizzed on this part because I'm not very good at it, but what you're referencing is some part of called what's called the rule of thirds and how you line up a photo. And I'm sure Michael could tell you all about that. I just, what I do is I just really connect to my feelings. I go level with the horizon when I'm shooting landscape and I just go and I figure it out that way. I'm not always going to have the the best of the rule of thirds and I'm not always going to put the things in the right place, but that's what makes me unique. And that's what makes my stuff stand out is that I do things differently. I don't read the book. If it tells me I need more, you know, ISO or I need less of this. I don't follow that. I follow what I think is creative and I go with that because if you do exactly what everybody else does, you're just another photographer. You can't stand out. I remember shooting the Indiana State Fair one year and I went to this group that was doing these cool flips and bicycles and skateboards and stuff. And there was a line of photographers taking their pictures. And once the show was all done, they all stepped away and they walked away. I went up, handed him my business card, said, hey, do you have an iPhone? 
Yeah, I do. Hey, I got about 10 pictures from today's event. Hand it to him. My business card went straight to the top. They came to me and they said, hey, we'd like you to shoot the next show. All because I stood out. So it's about how you feel like you should see it stand out in many thousands of people that are taking pictures. You know, I remember last year you came to Marion University when uh, David Fulcher, my, my friend who's been on the podcast many times, former Cincinnati Bengal, uh, now he runs a you know, a foundation that that helps raise money for people who have MS. He also, he and his wife also go into prisons and do a prison ministry. After our program was over, you came and took some professional shots of him and Judy and especially of him for his professional endeavors. And I remember I was not in the room, but I walked back in and I heard David go, wow. And you were showing him a picture that you just took of him. And I walked up and said, David, you're not that good looking. That, that picture, you are good looking that you're not that good. He goes, I know this guy's good. My, my point is to lead into this is for someone like you, and I know that you're not the most expensive. I also know that you have a heart of gold. Someone wants an hour of your time. They want you to take some different shots with that meaning we're talking about, the different angles, the different depth, and then they want your post, your post-production on them. What are we talking about? What, what would you charge? What's a good price if someone can get in to see a photographer? Yeah, I mean, people are going to vary. Here in Indy, it's probably about 175 to 250 an hour. I'm not that. I'm probably more in the range of 100. I hope you smile like crazy. <laughs> but your, your worth, what you charge is one thing. What you're worth is another. And I know you have a full-time job with your, your car uh, business and your repair business. And, and I know that you do that as well, but uh, so the average price that somebody, if, if some, if a photographer comes back and says, Hey, I'm one fifty to two fifty an hour, depending on what you're asking for, that's reasonable. Yeah. hundred percent. You're going to get a lot of people that are very busy and they'll do what's called mini sessions. And that's just to cover if somebody cancels, they may do two or three mini sessions at 50 or $75, but you're only getting 15 or 20 minutes. You need somebody to really slow down with you, set you up in the right place and make you look as bomb as you really are. I mean, I got to tell you, I mean, if you're just standing by a tree, you can make it look like you're the best flower standing there, or you can make it look like, wow, you're just another tree. Um, right. We've covered cars. Yep. We covered cameras and photography. Let me try to get this right again. Exotic Technic sports cars, you build them out of Legos. I have seen them at your home. I have seen them at your office. They are ridiculously complex. I think one of them you told me took you three months to build then, and, and they're not tiny. These cars end up being sizable models made out of Legos. Then... You take your photography skills, start taking those, go into post-production. And what's amazing about these, you'll send me a picture of a, of a Porsche. Say you put together a Porsche and you'll send it to me and I'll go, what street is that in Indy? And you'll say, that's the sidewalk outside my office. This miniature car looks like a full scale car. Where did this come from? And obviously you're not the only one in America doing it, right? No, uh, absolutely not. I mean, perspe perspective photography is huge. I mean, you can take something as small as a little um, 
Star Wars character and throw a firecracker behind it and take a picture, and it looks like it's being shot at. You would not know the difference between that and a filmmaker. It's just similar to me taking a car, getting in the right angle and making it look like, man, that thing looks full size coming down the alley at me. Um, it just comes to the adventure of what cars really are and the cool aspect of photography and just feeling like, wow, I went out and I did this. I made this. Um, you know, when I started Lego, it was way late. I mean, I'm 43 years old and <laughs> Lego started at the well, beginning. Was four, of four, 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 three years old. So. <laughs> yeah. 43 <laughs> minus 10 plus 10. Um, and I think we should throw in you're an eligible bachelor, correct? Maybe. Okay, maybe. Okay. That is good. I cooked. So you're 43. Cooked. When did when did this whole Lego fascination kick in? Cars have always been a fascination to me. So when I started to know that I could do it in Lego was 2020. I was a little behind the curve. That was when it was COVID. I ordered one online. It came. It was the Porsche 311. No, it was the uh, Porsche GT3, but not the RS edition. The GT3 RS was the supercar, and I've yet to be able to afford that one because it's retired. That's so true. when Lego retires cars or pieces, they become very expensive. So you get this, you get this Lego car. Uh, yep. Approximately how many pieces are involved? It depends. If it's one of the entry, more of an entry level, it could be, uh, I don't know, 900, 1200, or 1500. The supercars, I think the SP3 was like 33 or 4300 pieces. The, okay. the you, most just, you just threw those numbers out like it was no big deal. Uh, it's 1300, <laughs> 1500, and then it's getting up to 43. 100 pieces and yeah. these are intricate tiny little miniature pieces of what a car would normally look like and I, i've looked at these cars and then you'll show me that the doors open up the gull wing opens up the the trunk and, and then you push a little button and it goes back down and connects right this is, this is no joke how long does it take to build one of these well, it depends. I mean, if my neighbors had some like younger kids, it would go a lot quicker because their hands get inside these cars a little easier than mine. Um, but sometimes it'll take me three or to six months. The SP3 took me about six months because I got mad because uh, I couldn't figure it out because my hands are really big and we're talking tiny pieces. So during the day, they're they're working on cars and, and tires. Then they go mm -hmm. over to photography and then they end up on a Lego. Yes. Also, you're you're quite a chef, so they might have been <laughs> between there too. Yeah, you know, you got to cook up a new photography car. I see. See what I did there? Yeah, I I saw what you did there. That was real, real good. And so, is it just did this? You were going through some depression. Yep. Was this something you could focus on other than you? Yeah, I mean, it, you kind of think when it started with um, COVID, that's all we wanted to think about because there was, we've never, most of us in this lifetime haven't had something like that. So getting a car like that or getting something to work on and keep your mind occupied, it really helped. It helped the situation. It made me feel like I didn't have anything going on outside of here and I wasn't afraid to go to work or go outside the car. I could really focus on something here and then take pictures of it and show my progress. Hmm. And what was it something you'd encourage people to do or is it so nerve wracking? I, I mean, I, I just saw you hold your box up the other day, the one you just got uh, this, yeah. 
different things bring different levels of enjoyment for other people. I think I would rather fish on cement than try (laughs) to try to build one of those Lego cars that I see you working on. I just don't think it would do it for me. What, what does someone have to have before they undertake this, this uh, hobby? Oh, uh, the other P word patience. Uh, You know, it's not something that can just be done or, you know, easily sometimes, sometimes it is easy for people, but I think there just has to be a love for it. I mean, I think you saw, um, you know, when I was growing up, a couple of the big, bigger things um, in life were Ghostbusters and I've got the, the Ecto one, you know, that was a fun build. I hated it, but it was a fun build. I ended up doing it and it just kind of brings back memories. You know, it's a, it's, it's a piece that connects me back to the eighties and the nineties from when I lived most of my life. It's really neat. Let's talk cooking for a minute. Let's go to another C chef. Uh, we don't have to spend too much time on this. You have cooked for me several times. I have been blessed to have dined uh, in your presence with things that you have created. Where did that love and passion and where did that skill come from? Well, uh, this started way back in the day. Uh, I was bullied in school, believe it or not. Uh, it was part of my depression. And when I got old enough to drive, Uh, On Saturday mornings, I would wake up pretty early. I would skip out of my house, literally skip out of my house, go to the car. My grandfather worked at a grocery store. I would go up to him and be in the produce section and hand me 10 bucks. I'd go get eggs, bacon, and I'm sorry, I'm going to say the M word, mush, because that was my grandmother's favorite. And I would go up to the house in Darlington, Indiana, where she lived, and I would start making breakfast for her, and she would eventually come down from bed. She'd read me her devotions. We'd play skip boat, but I would start to do that. That is so and, sweet. Yeah. And it was literally my release. It's kind of like what my photography is now. That was what I did. I went and cooked. I sat with her. I made her feel like, you know, she was the world and she was the world to me. And I loved, I loved doing that. And, you know, she might've had to go to like target sometimes. So what I would end up doing is going in the afternoon and then bringing her back and making her favorite, which was chicken Parmesan awesome uh yeah do do things like that and that's where my cooking passion really came from and i just began to really learn and watch and put flavors together it's awesome uh, if you you know bridging the gap is a part of the bootleggers music group radio station here and paul jones our creator uh, he the theme and the the tagline for the station is bringing people closer to god one song and one podcast and one one show at a time I'm just curious where you are spiritually yourself and whatever your answer is, is fine. I'm not trying to lead you one direction or another, but I'm wondering you've been bullied and faced depression and God, you've come through it. You've got a great job at a a great automotive service. One of the best in the country. And you're one of the best photographers I've ever seen. You're one of the best cooks I've been around and uh, wondering where you are spiritually. Yeah, you know, I haven't really thought about it too much, but where I'm at is just trying to figure out how to first love myself and then love others. And I think that that concept, no matter what you follow, no matter what you do spiritually, has has very little ground these days. Because if you don't love yourself first, it's going to be really hard to love someone else in a kind way of holding the door or helping somebody out with their tires or whatever it might be. And that's all I really want to be about. That's why my photography is not expensive. It's why I sit here and do the things that I love to do with, with Legos and cooking. 
because it's really all about the other people. I turn into somebody else when I'm with you or when I'm with my friends, because it's all about how I can treat other people. I've always wanted to be the host and I've always wanted to be that person that provides because that's what I feel like I have in life is, is basically a provider for people. You do that and extremely it, well. And I, I want to end this podcast by, by sharing how you saved my life. Uh, I mean, I, as, as I've told, I, I've missed three or four weeks now and uh, Paul was gracious enough to, fill my time slot with other wonderful programs, but I've been on, I've been on tour for well over a month and a half now all over this country. And when I landed in Indianapolis on the morning of August 19th, I needed to pick up my rental car and I needed to drive from Indianapolis to West Lafayette to speak to 8,000 new students at Purdue university as part of their boiler gold rush. They've had me 15 years in a row and it's, it's by far, the most important gig I do all year. And it's just a breathtaking gig for anyone who does what I do for a living. I happened to call you. You heard how sick I was. I, I had just, the weeks had just taken their toll on me. You heard how sick I was. And you said, don't move. You know, you, where are you? I'm, I'm by, I'm by baggage claim. Get your bag and don't move. You took off work. You came and got me. You drove me to your house in Indianapolis. You pointed to a bedroom and said, go get in that bed. I slept for about four hours while I was sleeping. You made chicken soup from scratch. When I woke up, we basically shoved a bowl of it down my throat, hoping it would stay down, which it did. Then you pointed to the shower and said, go look better than you do. I did. You then drove me the hour and a half from Indy to West Lafayette. While I was on stage for almost two hours, you took several hundred pictures of me doing so in front of six to 8,000 people then drove me back to Indy, pointed to a bed, said sleep for two hours, got me to the airport and let me catch a 6 a.m. flight because I had three shows in Nebraska the next day. I will just say this. Had you not come got me, I think I would have probably checked myself into a hospital. I would have never made the show that night. I was exhausted. I would have never made the shows in Nebraska. And that's at least 15,000 students that benefited from those shows because you stepped in and saved my life. And so when I talk about true friends all over the world, you're the first one I talk about. And I can't be more thankful for what you did for me. I appreciate that. It really does bring a, a, a tear to my eye because what you do on those campuses and to people is what I want to do in my life. And that's reach out and love people and inform them of things in life. It just be a friend and, and smile. And you do that. And that's important to me. That's called investment. And that's what you do to all the students, all the people you come and talk contact with. I've loved having you on Brent. Um, we're going to bring this to a close one more time. How can people reach you? They can always reach you through the bootleggers music group app and website. There's a contact us page. And if people say, hey, I want to reach Brent, we will absolutely get that to you. But how can people reach you one more time? Uh, .com. Um, You know, you can always go to my email address because who wants more emails? That would be me. Uh, it's Brent M. Vought, just my first name, middle initial and last name at Gmail. Appreciate having you on. I now know more about cars. I now know more about photography. It was fun to talk about cooking. Uh, I don't want to know more about Legos, but I'm glad that you do. And uh, I appreciate you saving my life and your friendship. Uh, you're one of the great ones. Folks, thanks for being with us tonight. I hope you enjoyed listening to Brent, the valuable information he shared. And as always, it's been my pleasure. I'm David Coleman. This has been Bridging the Gap. 
here on Bootleggers Music Group Radio.